All right, welcome everyone to the second episode of the Open Lobby Podcast. I am pleased uh, to be here with two of the members of Clever Plays Games based in Montreal, Canada. Um, They are the developers of Operation Tango, the winner of Best Multiplayer Game at Gamescom 2020 this year. Joining me today, we've got Matt. uh, How do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Bijin. Mathieu Bijin, but Matt Matt is fine. It's it's a French name. (laughs) Okay. So Matt is the uh, co-founder, the creative director, and the lead designer over at Clever Plays. And then we've got Cord Smith, um, who is the director of marketing. Um, Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Doing awesome. Thank you. Good, good. So I think that we should start um, at the beginning. Uh, where did you guys start as, a, as gamers, as a hobby? Um, how did you guys decide that you wanted to pursue a career in the games industry full time? And Matthew, if you want to start with how Clever Plays was founded and then Cord, if you want to um, follow up with how you got involved with the company as a whole. Well, that's that, that's an actually pretty long story, so I'll try to not take too much time about it. Um, so, uh, I mean, pro, well, just like you, I uh, started gaming when I was really young. My first uh, gaming console was the, the VIC-20, so that's early oh, 80s. So that's a long time ago. I got the Atari 2600 after and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's always been like that. Uh, I've been a game designer for many years. Uh, I used to work at Ubisoft uh, in Montreal. And uh, yeah, the the, the big indie uh, thing that started happening at the the start of the 2010s about, uh, that that was for me the the big moment where everything changed because before I thought that you needed a big company to make a game. And then I started uh, seeing these games. And I think for me, the, the, the first real... Uh, realization about that was the game Bastion by Supergiant Game. Right. And classic, uh, this, this classic my, early indie title. <laughs> yeah. And it's I played that and I was oh my god that was an awesome experience and I looked at the credits and there were like seven people in the team. I was oh it means I could do that also with people around me. So that that was a game changer in my head. And soon after that I left uh, Ubisoft and I founded Clever Plays with Angela, who's my wife and also uh, the co-founder of the, the company. Uh, we had a good setup where she's really like the, uh, the administrative person, the person who can take care of a studio, and I'm more in the, the creative side and production side. Okay. So that, that's really how it started. And the goal was really just to try to uh, create games that went uh, beyond like the standard that we would see in the industry. Because, I mean, AAA make excellent games. I have nothing against them. I play some of them. There's no problem there. But I think there's also room for different things and uh, sometimes uh, more interesting things than repeating like the, the winning formula. So I wanted sure. really to go and try to explore and, and take risks, really, because uh, creativity and exploration is about risks. Uh, if you don't try things, then it means you're, you're not going to fall on something that's new and, and, and special. So that's what we've been trying to do. Okay. And uh, yeah. All right, Cord. How about you? Um, these days I feel like I'm old as dirt. Uh, I got <laughs> started way back when, I guess as well. I, I remember having um, an Odyssey two and an Apple two, and all. I was just so into games and computers when I was little. Um, I have fond memories of the RPGs I played back in the day, like Bard's Tale and Wasteland and all that. Um, 
you know, games that had like what three colors in their palette, um, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But I've always been a gamer and I was afforded a huge opportunity when I was actually in grad school to start writing for the official Dreamcast magazine out of the blue. I, I, it's a long story, but that kind of catapulted me into seeing games as a reality, a, a, like a career that I could go. I had a friend that called me out that had said, I think when we were like eight years old, he said, someday you're going to work at Sega. And I actually parlayed the job in journalism of official Dreamcast magazine into getting a job at Sega of America in San Francisco. And I journeyed out from Illinois after grad school to, uh, to become a member of the marketing department there. And that opened all sorts of, I just split my world open really to like, here's gaming. And I met so many amazing people, but my journey has been a weird one from there publishing into dev and then back into publishing and over to the creative agency side. And then um, I spent time up in Montreal um, in the last few years to go back to another studio I worked at and happened to really get in touch and spend a lot of time with Matthew and Angela and started working with them and the team about a year and a half ago or so. And I, to be honest, I really liked them and I, I wanted to be a part of the studio or help them out in an unofficial capacity if I could. But once I really understood what Operation Tango was and saw the promise in it, um, I was like all in. So been one of those, like, I guess I drank the Kool-Aid sure. <laughs> early on. And it's just been so much fun to see what I thought the game could be. It, it became that and mm-hmm. then some and then to watch people play it and see the response lately. Um, I think we've all kind of really had a, a grin on our face for a, for a few months now, just being so excited that, uh, that the game is becoming what we want, but it's also having this great response where people just love playing it. And uh, yeah, from the playtest to the streamers, to everybody who touches it now, it's like, oh my God, like we're excited to finish the game quickly and get it out into people's hands um, just to see, you know, to give them more of what they want. So, Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I played the demo last week with one of my friends, um, and I, I've told you guys before the podcast. I uh, we alternated, so I actually played as both roles, um, and I want to talk more about that later. But as soon as I was done with it, I was like, I want to play more. And I don't think that there's a lot of games nowadays, even even games that I'm highly anticipating, where I play it for like, I guess it's about ten minutes aside, maybe a little bit shorter after you've played the same mission, um, but. That game, I I wanted to go in for like hours because it's it's just it's addicting in a lot of ways, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But I want to start with so you've got such a great idea, you've got a really good um, product right out out right now. How do you guys come up with the ideas for the games that you've made? So you you've made two games. You've, you're almost done with Operation Tango. It's expected to come out uh, early next year. Um, and you you published Leap of Fate in 2015, 2015, right? Um, t- 2016, I think. 2016. Um, and they're very different games. You know, one yeah. is a, a top-down roguelike fantasy um, single-player game, and then you've got a first-person uh, spy espionage puzzle cooperative game. Um, they're very drastically different. And how do you guys come up with the ideas? for those games um, and how do you kind of structure out how the game is, the final product is going to be from, I don't know. Sometimes I think as a, as a fan, I think, okay, you know, you hear about entrepreneurs and, and startups that, you know, they all go out of a bar, they go get some drinks and then, you know, they come up with the idea and then they start working on the idea the next day when they are 
all hung over, I guess, or whatever, you know, um, how, how do you guys handle, uh, that creativity and then the decision-making process of what idea to pursue and how to kind of flesh it out into, uh, a product that you can work on? Well, that, it, it's a, it's a really good question. And I, I can't see that we have like a, a, a process that like really strict and understood and all it's part intuition, part uh, what we feel like doing and part uh, looking at the market. So uh, yes, Leap of Faith and Operation Tango are totally different games. Uh, with Leap of Faith, it was our first game. So our main goal was just to do something smaller that we could uh, manage and uh, that we thought had a good market because that was the time where roguelikes were like super popular with mm. the Binding of Isaacs and FTLs and right. Risk of Rains and all these things. So we wanted to try our hand at, at that. And then we tried to put some cool innovations in it. That's always what we're, we're trying to do. So. With Leap of Fate, we have, we have these uh, randomly generated uh, skill trees that are super interesting, that really make you think how you want to build your character in a session. We have also replaced the concept of dungeon with uh, having a table of tarot cards that you kind of go through. So we're always trying like, to see, oh, what, what if we change this and we turn this around? Uh, and then when we were done with this game, uh, we we wanted to step up uh, what we were trying to do. So we thought, okay, that was kind of a, a we were happy with the game, but still kind of a, a niche game. It's a small game, and but that mm -hmm. was fine. And then we thought, okay, w what can we do that can touch more people? And of course, multiplayer is a big thing, uh, especially these days. Actually, the the timing is pretty good uh, in mm -hmm. that sense. Um, and so we we tried to figure out, okay, how can we actually uh, do a co-op game? that is meaningful, that is more than just, oh, we put two avatars in the same scene and then you can play together, but rather that makes people uh, meaningfully interact together in, and, and be irreplaceable. Because, you know, in a lot of uh, co-op games, it doesn't really matter if you play or if your friend is alone. You know, it's like, well, both can do the same thing. It's, it's, mm. it's fine. I'm not saying it, there's anything bad with that, but that's not their goal. But in our case, we wanted really to try to find a way to make it so that you're like your friend can't play without you and vice versa. And you're actually happy and surprised to figure out what your friend can do to help you out. That was like the, the, the key thing we were trying to really uh, get at. And so, yeah, we, it kind of came like this. It was we, we had a huge list of potential features and, and game types we wanted to do. And we kind of slowly uh, whittled it down to that idea. And uh, in the case of Operation Tango, I was uh, the, the theme was highly influenced by, of course, uh, Mission Impossible. I'm sure the, yeah. the, the link is quite obvious. But also there is a short film that's called Hyper Reality that anybody that likes cyberpunk or visions of the near future, uh, anybody that's interested by that should really watch. It's by a, a single guy who created that. It's amazing. And they show this future where uh, augmented reality is everywhere and they try to explore like how it, it would be and so th that was kind of the the starting point for the um the environment of operation tango so the fact that as hackers you're manipulating ar the augmented reality in the environment and that's how you can get around and so you can uh, change your identity uh, you can do all these things and of course a hacker uh, makes sense in a, in an environment that's very um computer-based so that that's kind of how it uh, it came to be and then uh, the, the the rest was to try to package that and that's where cord was uh, a big help in trying to 
yeah help us to okay how how can we make that game like interesting as, as a whole and mm -hmm. not just be like a just a, a multiplayer co-op game but more a, a general experience that we can get people to resonate with well let me break that down because you went through a lot right there uh, a <laughs> lot of stuff um which is awesome because i can tell you're very passionate about it I, like i said I, I think that you guys have an incredible idea and it starts with that first thing you talked about which is the co-op mentality so and i think you touched on it already but cord maybe you can talk about it a little bit more too um i feel like co-op games nowadays there's some that do it really, really well, which like you guys do with Operation Tango, you require that partner It's designed to only be played with a partner. Whereas some games like, you know, Destiny or, you know, Marvel's The Avengers just came out recently, or I'm thinking of, um, there's a lot of games that have drop in, drop out multiplayer mm -hmm. and you can play with your friends, which is awesome. Everyone wants to kind of play with their friends and have the social experience, especially right now, since we're all kind of on lockdown. Um, but you can see that games sometimes tend to not reach, not really suffer, but not reach that potential of, you know, a single player game is catered to one person. It's catered to really focus in on just, you know, hitting a, a very strong narrative, a very strong story. The combat's catered to one person being interacting with the, the environment and the enemies. Um, and then when you introduce multiple people, then it, it kind of has to, you have to take away from something so that no matter whether someone plays with one person or four people, it's it's balanced, right? So I think that that's something that you guys have that's very unique is that you didn't really care about whether someone wants to play by themselves or wants to play with four people or you wanted to create an experience very specific um, and very uh, controlled that um, really shines in, in the very in the space that you want it to shine in. Right. Yeah. yeah and I, I would jump in to say my insight in this is that when speaking with Matt and the team early on, there was a fear they'd followed this vision of, of creating this amazing multiplayer experience that is so unique because each player is essential. It isn't drop in, drop out. If someone drops out, the whole experience goes away, right? You need someone else, but there's a worry there that there's a big risk that because of that requirement, how many people are going to get involved? Is that a big barrier? Will people, you know, choose to purchase it? Will they try it? Will they play it? There are all these what ifs and, and are we taking too big of a risk, but in playing the game and, and you've played it now, Matt, um, you know, you see immediately why it delivers such a unique experience, why that risk is worth it and why anyone who has access to it would see, Oh my gosh, I want more of this. So, seeing that and recognizing that early on and saying, well, yeah, of course we can look at all this. There are huge challenges in approaching multiplayer like this, but there are also huge opportunities because what we're finding is when people play the game and they access it, whether it's partners, consumers, et cetera, they do come back and say, oh my God, I haven't played anything quite like this, or it's not just another multiplayer game. It's not just another quote unquote co-op game. It's, it's an intimate experience between you and a friend and mm -hmm. It, I don't know. It just, I mean, we love it and we love seeing people enjoy it. It's, it's great to see people be taken aback that it's delivering something that they haven't experienced before and whether they're hardcore or casual or whatnot. I mean, we wish we could just give everyone the equipment and the codes to just play it. Right. It's the, the type right. of game you really hope a lot of people come into contact with that otherwise wouldn't. Um, so that, that remains our challenge. I think from a marketing standpoint is, how do we not only generate awareness, but ensure that we knock down enough barriers that people can gain access to it 
and try it and then you know hopefully go on and, and enjoy the whole thing and then bring other people to the party because you don't know this yet but when you have the full game like going back even with somebody who hasn't played even if you've played it you can still have a ton of fun it's still just yeah. as intimate it's like if you kind of have the secrets and know what you're doing fine play along and, and play that role for someone else it almost becomes like I, i've never made this comparison before so it's like D like you then if you're in the know you become the dungeon master for someone else to have yeah. the experience playing I think, the spy or, or playing the hacker and this is something else with it so this is something that really surprised me when i'm playing it but i started out as a spy and um you know i remember walking in a room i'm playing with one of my friends that um doesn't play a lot of co-op games a lot of single player games he's a big you know call of duty type guy um and you know, I'm looking, I walk into the big room where there's the black floor and I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And he's, he's like, I don't know what you're supposed to be doing either. And I'm like, well, like I, I don't see anything. Like I, I literally can't like, there's bars in front of me and a big giant black floor is like, you don't see the red dots on the floor. Like, no, like what? No, I don't. I was like, Oh, okay. That's what we got to do. And you know, or, and then the, the one that really stood out to me was when you're, um, when you're the spy and you are, um, I think you're guiding your uh, the the hacker through a digital database, and you're drawing the little squares. You know, from one perspective, I'm like, oh, okay, this is cool. You know, I'm drawing these little dots, and he's going to be the dot following. But then you go to the hacker, and you're not, you know, in a 2D little platforming. You're not looking at the same screen. You're in a 3D environment, and that's when you see everything. And you know, I, I watched today. You know, you you mentioned. Um, uh, cord in the uh, in your AMA on YouTube. By the way, YouTube Clever Plays. You guys can uh, can follow them there. Um, you you mentioned that this is kind of also inspired by um, Keep. Uh, what's the game? Keep, keep talking, talking and nobody explodes. Nobody. Right. So I was watching uh, a video on that today. The VR of the two the two bomb uh, experts that are actually doing it. One's in VR doing it. The other guy it's got the guide flipping through. You know, that's such a perfect comparison to what you feel like when you're playing operation tango you know yeah. regardless of what role you're playing you can play it again with the a completely different perspective and experience on it and i think that that has a lot of value especially in, in games nowadays you know you play through the story once with one group of friends you can play with it with another group of friends but you know you got the one guy that already knows what he's supposed to be doing he's running to the next point and you know, there's a puzzle there. He already knows how to solve it. You know, that's it's a little bit different with with games like this. So I think that's really unique. And it, it's cool that you you mentioned keep talking and nobody explodes because that, that game is awesome. And it, it came out something like five years ago, I think. And for me, when I played that the first time, it was really a revelation. I thought it was fantastic. They kind of, well, asymmetrical co-op games always existed in board games, but it was the first time ever I really saw it in a video game. And I, I thought, oh, wow, that opens up so much possibility. And uh, so in, in Operation Tango, we wanted to keep that concept, which, which is awesome. But instead of having a very limited environment like they do, like one person just has sheets of paper and all, we wanted to create two full uh, uh, 3D environments where both players would be equally um, stimulated and engaged. And that, that's one of the things that I think uh, separates Operation Tango from a lot of other uh, asymmetrical co-op games is that there's not one player that's kind of the support for the other who's the main star. It's really we try to go back and forth all the time so that both players have fun, but in different ways and one after another. And the whole game is constructed, well, it's a bunch of chapters, but it's constructed in a way that uh, people always have the type of experience you were mentioning, where 
you you go somewhere and you what do you do and then your partner says oh i know this is what you should do do this and that and you're like, oh wow this is awesome like he's helping and then after that it's your turn and he's the one that's going to be surprised and all so it's a long series like this of moments where you're you, you you're super happy that your friend is helping you so for me that's the the the, the concept of co-op another thing you guys hit really well with with that whole co-op is and I know you mentioned it, Cord, and I'd love for one of you guys to talk about how you approach this is the simplicity. You know, you make something too confusing and people, you know, either get bored or they get frustrated. Um, and you could tell with, you know, with Operation Tango that there is there's a aspect of complexity, especially with the art, which we're going to talk about in a second. But um, the simplicity of the gameplay and the simplicity of the puzzles, while, while the difficulty is still there, um, it's not like you have to go searching or really go out of your way to try to find um, what you have to do. Um, do you guys want to talk about how you approach that and how you're designing that into the game a little yeah. bit more? Yeah, I guess I should tackle that one. So yeah, it's a, we we made a very conscious decision on like the level of difficulty, the how how much uh, re- the puzzles required, uh, deep thinking or not. And we, we wanted this game to be first and foremost entertaining and uh, and really approachable by a lot of people. So we it's not a game that goes like super hard and all. Like for example, if you like really more difficult puzzle, like we were here, the, the series of we were here is probably more appropriate because they're they're type of puzzles where you can scratch your head for like 10 minutes and at, at the end of that, oh I, we got it. And so yeah. some people are into that. And so that series is awesome. We wanted it to be more about, okay, here's a new situation. You, you figure it out a little bit together and then you're happy to, to have found a solution and you go on. And then it's, it's long, a, a long series of cool moments. That, that's how we see uh, the game. So, yeah. Have you guys played The Witness? Of course. Have you played The uh, Witness yeah. yet? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that one is pretty hard, I would say. Yeah, I was gonna say Cord. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that game. Uh, I, I used to call myself like a puzzler. Yeah, that game <laughs> took me out of puzzling, and I'm a Dark Souls guy. Like, I love Dark Souls. I love <laughs> Hollow Knight. I like the the hard, you know, mechanical type games. But when I'm sitting there looking at dots for oh, yeah. you know no, the, twenty the minutes every the day, Dark Souls of puzzlers. Exactly. Sure, yes. It is too hard. You know, I, I watching the the streams, and we've we've had to watch and, and edit a lot of streams. So I've seen so much footage down. Matt, I, I have to say, the team is unbelievable in terms of playtesting. So a lot of what you see in terms of that, when you say simple, I think it's elegant design, and it's it's the right difficulty level. And Matt can can give you some anecdotes in a second about difficulty level on the demo of what was tested and what was pulled back. But I'm always really excited to see people go through and and kind of. They're hitting their limit of like almost frustrated and then they have their eureka moment quickly and easily and they're just giddy and they're delighted. And I think it leads up to that excitement at the end of the mission to want to tackle more because the the pain points aren't there. You know, mm-hmm, it is exactly. a, a series of really, really cool scenarios, fun moments. And the challenge, although there are puzzles to figure out and there are things you need to go, it's not like it's dead easy, like here are the instructions, go do it. But the real challenge is the communication. The real challenge yeah. is tackling it together and speaking from two different perspectives. And that never gets old because you can constantly put stuff in front of both players, the agent and the hacker. And there is a struggle to try to say exactly what you're seeing. And the beauty of it is that when you switch roles and you go to the other side, like you said, with the, the database where the hacker's in 3D, you don't expect that. The, on the hacking side, you expect I'm in the hacker, I'm in an interface. 
and to put him into a three-dimensional space is just so great and i think it's so fair right because then you don't feel like oh i chose hacker so i never get to do anything cool i'm not even going to move around and i think it's a brilliant part of the design process that that's something where it's like gifting the hacker of like nope we're going to invert the role you know the the agent's going to stare at a screen for a little while and, and connect dots where they have this ultimate godlike power over guiding you to your death or to your salvation and, and you as the hacker are going to run around this little maze with these things moving around that are going to kill you yeah. or send you into the digital void i guess where the streamers got all excited about that they were like, oh the digital void mm. um anyway in terms of difficulty it's it's very it's a long process to get it right. Obviously, people get frustrated. Um, you want to break down those barriers, but still give people a challenge. But Matt had a number of experiences on the demo itself where they had cranked things a little further, um, and they were approaching pain point. You would tell them like some of the ones yeah, you, well, you nerfed a bit. One in particular, the so the the very last uh, part of the game where uh, one. Well, don't spoil has, it for me. Uh, Hang on. Whoa, whoa. Don't spoil. Don't no, make sure. Uh, okay. oh, no, this is at the end of the Talking demo. The oh, okay, okay, okay. I was gonna say, <laughs> I'm I'm too excited. Don't spoil the game for me. <laughs> no, the demo. I, I assume that people have played the demo. I mean, it's a 15 minute thing, so I mean, it's not too bad. And if you uh, haven't, you so should I, go to Steam, Operation yeah, Tango. Go play the demo right now. It's free. It's free. So there, there's a moment where you have to actually describe a symbol to your partner, and your partner has to kind of draw it. And uh, not literally draw, but he used a click to create a, a drawing. Yeah. And so we use a coordinate system for that. Like it's a grid. And I, I assume that everybody could read a grid like a C1 and, and all of that. But so at first, we wanted to make sure that this gameplay was stressful enough because it's the end of the demo. And then you want people to, to feel a little bit something. So we had a timer. You had only two minutes, two minutes to, uh, to do it. But then I realized that there was a subset of players that had no clue how uh, a coordinate system worked. It's true. Ah, <laughs> so not okay. laughing at them. It's just a, it's something I discovered. And so for these people, not knowing how to describe the grid and having the timer was so stressful that they hated that puzzle. And then they, 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 they didn't like the end at all. So we ended up removing the timer to not stress too much these people and let them have the time to to create their own way to describe a coordinate system, which was also quite funny to see. <laughs> I think, so you guys have obviously been playing video games for a very long time, as I have. And, you know, Fall Guys is a big game right now. Um, and I personally didn't struggle too much with it. You know, I've, you know, I've, I grew up playing Mario, 3D Mario, lots of different platformers, Crash Bandicoot. So, you know, you put someone in a platformer, there's still like the the ragdoll aspects to it and everything that... um that cause it to be difficult for everybody, but it's crazy watching some people just not be able to move at all. Like you can't <laughs> even get past that first challenge. And I think that we forget that when we've been doing it for years and years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something- yeah, well, When you play test a game, you realize a lot of these things that that you take for granted. It's, it's really impressive. Like with Leap of Faith, our previous game, that was a much more hardcore game. But sometimes we would go to game conventions like PAX or things like that. And then some people were drawn maybe by the cyberpunk imagery and they were, oh, okay, cyberpunk, I'll try it. And then they would get in front of the keyboard and mouse and then like frozen in panic, yeah. like, oh, and then die in 10 seconds. And most gamers would say, I mean, it's a keyboard, just use it. But no, yeah. uh, I, I mean, there's a, an actual huge spectrum of gamers out there. And it, 
so you, you need to find who's your target, uh, the, the people that are going to play it, and figure out like how to let them <laughs> play your game and, and, and be yeah. able to do so. And that, that, that was one of the, the main lessons we learned with Tango, like trying to find the right uh, spot. And, and necessarily, it means that it's not for everyone. Some people will find it too easy, some too hard. I mean, there's some... Uh, reviews on Steam, people saying, "Oh, this is really hard." And we're like, "Really? Yeah, <laughs> we don't think it's too hard, but I mean, to each his own, I guess." Yeah, that perfect balance. I know that uh, I've heard a couple people talk about it. You know, starting with you know Mario is kind of the example that a lot of people I've heard talk about. Starting really simple, just jumping and and moving, and then they slowly introduce new mechanics like bouncing blocks and blocks that disappear and enemies that jump and move in weird ways. You know, and I think that. Some studios do a really good job balancing. Some intentionally make it hard. Like you fight the first Dark Souls boss, you are going to die over and over again. And then after <laughs> yeah. you beat the game, you go through it a second time and it's a whole lot easier. So yeah. um, I think that it is a, a hard a thing example, to do. But good example of that is uh, Paradox, like the, the publisher. So they make a Crusader Kings and all these games you're yes. playing Universalist. And so their design philosophy is that they want to make their players feel like they're elite. So they, on purpose, uh, well, I guess maybe it didn't start like that. It started because it was a bit messy, but it, 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 their design philosophy became that their games are on purpose difficult to penetrate and kind of yeah, kind of messy. And so if you master the game, then you feel a reward just because you've done something that a lot of gamers could not do. So that's their that's their way of making games, and it, it's working out super well for them. They're fantastically successful. Yeah. So So a lot of... Operation Tango is set in you set it's set in I believe it's 2080, correct? Uh 2038. 2038. Okay, so still in my lifetime. Yeah, I had I'm dyslexic yeah. sometimes. Well, that's okay. I'll throw a three in there. Um so so a lot of it is set in a, it's in the near future and there's a lot of aspects both as as the hacker and as the spy of augmented reality or virtual reality and I'm curious, I feel like a lot of people, when they create something that especially looks at that type of technology, they have like a vested interest in it. So like, I, you know, I think of, you know, when I think of augmented reality, I, I think about Pokemon Go. I think about uh, Black Mirror episodes that have a lot of augmented reality to it. I watched yeah. the, um, you know, the, have you guys seen Black Mirror? Yeah, of course. Oh, see, of course. You guys say, of course. <laughs> I have a lot of friends that have watched like two episodes and refused to watch. And I don't even let them see the first episode. We don't, it's, we don't yeah, show the pig fucking and all that shit that goes on. That's weird. That's the first episode. Yeah, that, I show that a lot of people up. It does. Yeah. And I, the first two that I watch were, um, the entire history of you where the, the, the eyes and the cameras. Um, and then the one that I think of a lot of when I, when I think of augmented reality and I wanted to talk about was, you know, 1 million merits, which is, you know, you've got screens everywhere and everything you play is virtual and you, your currency is virtual. And it seems like, I think they're all trying to power. That's kind of the way that I guess the world works then is everyone rides bikes to power for the rich, I guess it's all, there's a lot of um, undertones, you know, through the whole episode, but you know, the, the, the villain of operation tango is, you know, unknown. Um, and that's kind of the goal of the game, but he's stealing virtual identities, erasing virtual identities. Um, and that's a really interesting idea. Um, it's taken, I'm, I'm sure from the, the hyper reality short film, which again, if you guys haven't seen it, 
It's on YouTube. It's only like eight minutes long. It's really, really good, really well made. Um, really surprised me, especially because it's 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 pretty old. It's been out for years. Um, and I, I just wanted to to ask, what do you guys think of augmented reality, like in the future for like us in like real life, and how does that kind of influence how you guys decided to write the story and and implement that in the game? I, I mean, you're you're all over the story. I would only say I would jump in as a preamble to say that what what comes to mind in Black Mirror is the episode is the Christmas special, where oh, yeah. at the end he is he is you know um, sent out of the community basically colored in red and and can't be seen. That's that's more similar to what's happening to people in this world in terms of what the villain, you know, the the, the villain is doing to people is basically if in a world where your reality your presence is virtual. If someone has access to that data and can can wipe you from existence or make you invisible in that realm, it it's a lot like virtual murder, right? It, it, it's taking people off the map. And when you think about a normal person, okay, that's one thing. But what if it could happen where all the data around that and your whole existence could be erased as well, and you could take presidents out of the equation or dictators, or you know, you could suddenly really play god with the entire planet and the political structure. So it's you know, I, I think there's a lot that the the time in 2038 and, and augmented reality, all this that, that inspires people to think about. I think the game's great at giving you a story to follow and a lot of things to think about, but it, it, I think it inspires people to kind of wonder, Oh, what else in this world? What else? Like, I feel mm. like it's an, it's a really cool palette for people to play with. And I think for us, it's, it's fun. I think man, Matt can speak to it in terms of where the chapters go and where the story bleeds off. You know, there are a lot of directions it can go and a lot of things people can speculate and speculating is fun. Okay. Yeah. That, that was probably, I would say, one of my personal uh, most frustrating aspect of working in this game is that there's so much cool stories I would have liked to tell about like what happens that time, but the game does not really lend itself to telling stories. Like it's two people together talking, so you let them talk and you just just give them a, a little bit of an objective. But yeah, they're, they're, we wrote a lot of things. We rewrote the stories and all, and then we ended up cutting <laughs> most of this stuff, sadly. <laughs> But still, it was fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that the, the whole topic of uh, like technology and, and uh, augmented reality, for me, it's, it's really interesting. We can see it in a, a very dystopic way. A lot of uh, mangas, a lot of uh, movies do that. I, I'm a big fan of these, uh, these things. You can also see it from a more uh, realistic and day-to-day -day point of view. And for me, I think that augmented reality is the, the actual next uh, really interesting step in technology. A lot of people have been talking about the VR, the virtual reality recently, mm. but I think that is extremely limited. But augmented reality to me, that's the real cool thing and the, the real applications to so many things. And now I recently Facebook has announced that they are starting a project to have a virtual reality goggles, something at Google that tried a while ago, but it got canceled. We'll see how it goes. I mean, for me, if, if I'm Facebook scared. Does it, 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 it's it's it smells like oh we, we want to use your data, but <laughs> I, I'm scared but, because I think of so like Faceplant the again Black Black Mirror Black Mirror is such a great show because they it I mean it's marketed perfectly to where it's it's just past like the reaches of what we have right now like yeah. that idea of like your social media technology being pushed forward to where social media is like directly impacting your life. I mean, it directly impacts a lot of people's lives. You know, you got cancel culture and you've got a lot of different things that come with it. But 
you know, every single interaction you have being rated, every conversation you have being rated and affect directly affecting, you know, whether you can even get on a plane, um, that terrifies me. Um, and I do think that we're going to head down that road, unfortunately, but we'll, 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 I guess we'll get there when we get there and hopefully we learn from the movies that we make and the shows that we make. I don't know. I'm seeing Boston (laughs) industries do some weird stuff with robots and you would think that we would know not to do that, but I I have no idea. I love technology, but it also, I do think about that show has really opened my eyes to like, We've got some stuff that we got to make sure we we put in place to make sure yeah. we don't go too far. But for for me, I mean, it's kind of inevitable in the sense that the the, the main characteristic of the of humans is that we're curious and we always want to try new things. I think that applies to any civilization in history. And nowadays, a technological progress is so fast; it's scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that there's no stopping it. I think it, it's just moving. Like we can't know exactly how it's going to go. And usually societies are pretty good at policing themselves and preventing too much uh, problems. But uh, I don't know. I, I think it's it's going that direction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In this case, I feel like we've already gotten ahead of ourselves. If you guys have seen The Social Dilemma on, on Netflix, Matt, I have or Matt, have either of you seen it? I, I think it shows that we've, we've already overstepped and and the there was no ethical approach to the design of a lot of the underlying algorithms to social media platforms so mm. what we have now is kind of when people think and there's an interesting analogy in it where they say you know when you think about ai gone on rogue and, and it's going to be the end of mankind we think about robots we think about terminator think about things coming to kill us with guns we don't think about the algorithms underlying you know our entire life and our social structure and how that would have an impact on our culture and you know it's actually impacting cult not not killing off human beings but killing off culture killing off and and as well as they talk about how it overloads people like as humans we were never meant to understand uh social interactions with more than maybe 10 entities right Mm. but now you have millions of people commenting on something you said or something you did or something you wore and we're just not wired for it we're just we're beyond our comfort level um but yeah i think I, i to your point Matt earlier about Black Mirror, that idea that it's on the cusp, it is like tomorrow's technology is is a beautiful thing because hopefully those episodes do get people to think about it. Even in the most terrifying episodes, there's still something there. There's a crux of like technology or society or something that you can kind of take a lesson from. Um, and some of them, I think, touch home. Faceplant is a great one where you go like, holy crap, like, is that like what's going to happen next year? Like, am I going to have a score? on my Facebook? Do I have to be on Facebook to be yeah. human? Do I, what do I have to do? How, what do, how do I qualify to be in culture? Like how, how am I seen? And, and that's really terrifying. I'm somebody who I post every now and then on Instagram, but I like it more for like, I love photography. Yeah. So I love pictures, but Facebook, I don't think I've ever posted a status update or said like what I ate or who I was with or checked into a location or anything. Like I don't, if, if I want you to know that I'll text you and tell you to join right. me, you right. know, like that's, that's how I roll. Um, so some of this stuff scares me because it's, it's not only terrifying where it can go, but it's alien to me. I'm not in that system yeah. yet. I love to think about it, uh, but yeah. Well, I'll you're not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> if you look at any of my uncles or my parents or my parents' friends that are on Facebook, I think they're a little bit lost too. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but oh, we it's did... not that I don't understand it. It's not being lost. It's an intentional, like put the shutters down. I've been, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This, this cannot be good. Um, I mean, my dad still can't 
you know, change the clock on the VCR. I understand people who are technologically, <laughs> you know, <laughs> challenged. Yeah. I'm not one of those people. I, I'm technologically there. I just think social media can be, uh, I don't know. I, you know, and I'm the same way. I get stuck. Dan still has a VCR, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, if he did, he could oh change it. Gosh. That was a childhood debate. Um, but no, I mean, the same thing in that doc, you get like the feed and, and scrolling to see stuff. I, I get lost in the Twitterverse. I get lost in the oh, Instagram. Yeah. I get lost in this stuff as well. I mean, but that's the algorithm, right? It's feeding you constantly just yeah. saying like, oh, yeah. let's keep those eyeballs on the screen. Let's get those ad dollars. Yeah, um, and I'll luckily, tell you who's doing a really good job of it right now is Netflix. And we talked about Black Mirror, but Love, Death, and Robots, that series that oh, came no. out last year. God. The oh, animation. Yeah. So I'm, I, I, love, I love movies just as much as I love video games. And I think that because I watch so much and I play so much, you know, I, I eventually get my taste and I've learned that my taste ends up being like, you know, I, you guys are game developers. You, you, you have very limited time. First of all, thank you for spending some time with me today. You know, I work a day job. As soon as I get out of my day job, um, I I come right to work on my hobby, which is trying to pursue a, a, a side career or a full-time career in games media. And when I have a limited time to do that, I can only really play the best of the best. You know, you go, you know, pick up a game that you you find out you really didn't like or, you know, it's it's good, but it's not great. And you feel like you've wasted your time. Whereas, you know, in in Netflix, like they've catered to me. They figured out exactly what I like and love Death and Robots. I think I've watched a ton of them over and over. And one of the things that I, I researched on you guys, you guys said that the artwork for Operation Tango, which is phenomenal, stands out, not like a sore thumb. That's a bad analogy. It stands out like great. It stands out. It, you can tell from the crowd. I didn't know that Robert Perry, the artist that you guys mentioned, is like one of your biggest inspirations. Did you guys know he made Zima Blue, the short in Love, Death, and Robots? Yeah, it's uh, Robert Valley. Robert Valley. Robert Valley. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Of course, I don't uh, write it down. I, on I my actually sheet, did right? not know that. I The last thing I saw from here was, um, what's it called? Pears. Uh, I forgot. The, it's like Cowboys, Pears, something like that. I, I mixed up the name, but yeah. I didn't know he, he was part of that uh, the Love Robots uh, mix up all the names yeah go back and uh look at the one where it's uh it's it's i mean you'll you'll tell it as soon as you go into that series but it's the one where they've got that grand artist i think it's only like four or five minutes long they got that grand artist that's going to unveil his his big thing and i don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't seen it because it's, it's really really good all of those shorts are really good but if i had to pick my top three out of that series that first season of that series Zima Blue was in the top three just because of the art alone. And I just thought it was so ironic that it was the exact <laughs> same guy that inspired you guys for the art for yeah. Operation so Tango. Striking and, and a great use of color. Yeah. I mean, Johan's not on this podcast, but I think, you know, Matt, you have so many discussions with Johan to decide the art direction. Like, certainly he, he has a great eye and has, has very, like, you know, his tastes are very, I don't know, distinct. He knows what he likes, and and I think you guys had a had a clear vision for what you wanted to accomplish with this. Oh yeah, um, for sure. How much time sure. goes into the art versus the mechanics? Like when you're designing a game, there's a lot of code, but you know it's not just code. You got to make everything look pretty as well. And and kind of how does that process go back and forth between designing the gameplay, writing the gameplay, and then 
like making the actual art that that everyone sees at the in the end product. Well, th that's very uh, case by case on the game. Some games are super uh, intensive on the, the art creation. Some are less. Operation Tango is not that much. Uh, so we have uh, we have four programmers in the team, and we have one artist uh, plus a few artists that do uh, contract work for us. So there's less artists than programmers on this one. Uh, and the reason is that uh, each level takes place in one environment that's not that big, but then there's a lot of different things that happen during that time. So in our case, uh, the artist has, well, there, there's less art than programming to do. It doesn't mean that it's an easy job. Like <laughs> there's a lot of uh, very challenging things to do. I think the, the, the main, uh, for us, the, the main challenge is to figure out how to maximize the impact of the art with our budget because i mean we're in, we're a small team we don't have budgets like of course not like AAA, but even like uh, mid-size uh, game companies so we have to find ways to have an impact with with the little that we have and so the art style is on purpose it's a, it's a, a bit simple and that's uh, that's a style but that also allows us to do more with uh, with less which is uh, which is good and yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I'm not the artist, so I, I can't, if Johan was here, he could tell you about that in much more detail, but. I think from a dev standpoint, it's, it's pretty interesting. You know, when you're dealing with 3D versus 2D, there, there are some things you, you want to do differently. Um, recently, I saw an interview with uh, Daniel Mullins, who did um, Pony Island and The Hex and some of these, and he said unapologetically, he said, you know, most development needs to wait to do art. Like you wouldn't make it pretty until you make it work. Um, he said, <laughs> I, I do the opposite. He goes, if I can't see it on screen and it doesn't look the way I want it to look, then I'm not motivated to move forward and develop it. Like, oh. and, and that's really backwards way that most people work. Um, with 2D, which Operation Tango is obviously 3D, with 2D, you, you really can't do your art first. If you don't prototype and gray box and get it right, you're going to be wasting a lot of money because 2D art is so difficult to produce. Mm. Um, so you usually wait very late in the process but with operation tango what i love about it is and and matt said simple but he what he means is elegant and well designed because <laughs> the 3d environments are fairly simple ge geometrically mm -hmm. um but the color choices are so well made and the lighting is simple they're not yeah. hundreds of lights it's almost like your background matt i was going to compliment yeah. you on the lights in, behind you it's Thank like you. where the lights are placed they're just right they're just the right intensity, but the placement's perfect. And you notice in the demo, like that the lights create shadows of the shark swimming around. So you see the shark shadows on the floor um, and it's just placed just right. And I think throughout the levels, the that lighting and those color schemes continue to have the same feel um, in terms of the overall aesthetic, but the emotion that they convey and the, the color choices, et cetera, make every location feel unique. And, and that's not easy. That's where the real artistry comes in. You know, it's almost a restraint of we're not going to clutter it up. I think that's another thing with the gameplay. Operation Tango isn't a game where you go around collecting and touching every item, um, mm -hmm. but the locations still need to look fleshed out, but they shouldn't look like there's clutter that you need to interact with, right? It's drawing your eye to the things that you, you should interact with and what's going to push the, the mission and the story forward. Um, that said, there's always a lot of environmental storytelling going on. You know, from the simple premise in the demo of, you know, this very wealthy man in a, in a, in a penthouse, when you get up there, it looks the part, you know, there yeah. are drinks out on the patio and the, the, the desks and things. It's like very, it's very high end um, without being overly ornate. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's awesome. I mean, anybody who appreciates, um, you know, art in video games, obviously every yeah. year there's so many contenders for like, wow, like I've never seen anything quite like that. Yeah. I think that like Disco Elysium was a good example of that. Like almost everything looked hand painted. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's not cluttered, but it's not the adjective that I would use to describe you guys' game, which is clean. I mean, everything is clean edges, even though there's curves and it's not, you know, straight lines, but there's a lot. Uh, it's just, I think that uh, Super Hot has, does a really good job of it too. And I'm excited to talk to them again in the future. Um, I interviewed them last year and, you know, their whole thing with simplicity and art was the same thing that you guys do. You take it a step further, but theirs was, you know, white is background, black is use, red is enemy. You know, that's, that's it. Those are the only rules. And you it, guys take it, it that was next that way. step. It was that way from their prototype on, and then they they brought on an art director who actually brought that crystalline look to it. Did you did yes. you happen to see their their um, art behind the scenes, the PDF, the book? I haven't about the art direction. Oh my god, you'll love it. Go to their website and download. It. You can see a link, and it's a PDF. It reads like a comic, and it's one of the best behind the scenes art books I've ever seen for a title. Um, I'm a huge fan of yeah. Superot. Just to put it out there, I yeah. back them, and I've been in like big and communicating with them for a long time. I just, I adore them. They're the only indie studio that, that I would put on par with clever plays, but okay. You know, oh, okay. I, I, okay. I, I chose, I chose. Nothing clever less. Yeah. I've a, uh, they were, they were awesome last year. I did a blog with, uh, with Simon from super hot team. I'm going to be yep. doing an episode of open lobby with Simon from super hot. I'm super excited to talk to him again. Um, they talked about office pranks, which I wanted to talk about uh, with you guys, not necessarily office pranks, but you know, with COVID now, um, how are you guys managing, you know, finishing up a game? Are you working remotely? Are you guys able to with the, I mean, I feel like Canada hasn't had as bad of, you know, they've done a pretty good job controlling it compared to some areas in the U S I live in the Southeast U S I already can tell you right now, just walking around outside that we have not done a great job of controlling <laughs> it. Um, but, but how, how is it right now wrapping up the final touches on, um, on operation tango, are, are you guys remote? Um, have you had yeah. any challenges? Um, yeah, we're, and what... we're remote. Uh, from day one of the lockdown, we've started working from home. Uh, for us, and I imagine for most video game companies, it was very easy to do so because we were already set up with VPNs and everybody could have access to uh, the, you know, the, the servers from their home. Uh, so for us, it was very simple to do. Uh, we've been working remote since then, so since March. Uh, it's going well. I, there, there's no huge blocker. Um, the, obviously, like the, the, the one thing that's made uh, harder is that we used to have these uh, group reviews of the builds. So let's, let's all get together and see what's happening. And of course, it's much harder to do that. Now like you cannot point at the screen and say, look, this part mm-hmm. is bad. Like you, you have to describe it. It's kind of playing tango, basically. Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. But- <laughs> And I got to say, we talked about communication earlier. I think that that is going to be very heavily utilized in future games, considering, you know, Operation Tango's coming out. I think that that's going to make a pretty big splash. We all know how big of a splash that uh, Among Us is making right now on Twitch and everywhere else. Um, You know, there's a a new game that is, I can't even think of the title of it right now, but it's it's a horror game that's very... Center on communication, trying to communicate who the ghost is and how to where the ghost is and stuff like that. There's a, I think that we're gonna see a big push towards 
more and more more co-op, which we're seeing already with, uh, you know, the, the Arkham games. The Arkham games are some of my favorite games. The Batman series, uh, Warner Brothers Montreal and um, Rocksteady are making a Suicide Co-op, Suicide Squad co-op game, and a Batman. Uh, the the I, I think the Cowl is a better way to describe them. Gotham Knights it's got Red Hood and. Batgirl and Batman, I mean, not Batman, uh, Robin. And, you know, each of those games used to be single player. Now they're making them, you know, one to four player co-op games. Um, I think we're going to continue to see that push. Um, and I think that communication is going to be a big aspect that's involved in everyone's game. So yeah. you guys are pioneers <laughs> of that. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, for, for us, of, of course, we could never have predicted COVID and all of that, but it it kind of uh, happened uh, and it, it happened that we made a game that was uh, very adequate for this this era where people have to stay home and and talk through discord or skype or whatever to to communicate so it was it was uh, just random but good for us <laughs> so i i know we're we're running short on time um thank you both for for being here today operation tango is going to be available on Steam, Xbox, and PlayStation in early 2021. Um, you can download the demo right now on Steam. Just search Operation Tango. You can follow Clever Plays on Twitter at twitter.com slash cleverplays, or you can follow them on YouTube. Hopefully you get to see a whole lot more. Hopefully you get to see a whole lot more with these two gentlemen. They've been awesome. Um, thank you both for your time. All right. Yeah, thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for having us. Matt, you and your viewers come join us on the Discord. You can have these chats with us anytime. We like to be active on there and, and keep in touch with people and, and you know, be along for the ride with us. We're pretty transparent. We love to chat. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.